You are this country's first openly gay prime minister. How big a deal is this for you personally? Brexit process. U.S. investment bank Lehman Brothers collapsed. I said this was a once in a generation a vote. financial crisis. But I believe we have voted today for the next generation. Don't be rude. Welcome to the Dublin Law and Politics Review podcast, in which we discuss current political events. My name is Shana Bannon-Ward, and with me today we have Dr. Owen Adell, an Associate Professor at Trinity College Dublin. We'll discuss the recent controversy surrounding the AstraZeneca vaccine contract with the EU. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media via at Dublin LPR. Thank you for coming into the show and speaking to us about this topic. Thanks for taking You're the time. You're very welcome. Uh, would you want to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. My name is Owen O'Dell. I'm a fellow and associate professor of law in Trinity College Dublin, and you might know me from such blogs and uh, Twitter handles as character. Um, so this is obviously, as I said beforehand, a very meaty topic. Everything's coming out very relatively soon, and it's difficult to keep up to date with everything. But we're going to try and um, approach this topic on the AstraZeneca contract um, between the EU um, so just really going into the contract that was released last week and the clauses that are probably the most interesting and probably most topical of them. So the first one was their best reasonable efforts clause. Do you want to explain that to our listeners? Yeah, a reasonable efforts clause is a clause where you don't know the outcome of something. So you promise to do your best to achieve the outcome. So an uncontroversial example in the AstraZeneca Commission contract is where Astra- AstraZeneca promised to use their best endeavours to obtain the uh, approval for the distribution of their vaccine in the European Union from the European Medicines Board. So they can't promise that the Medicines Board is going to approve the vaccine, but they can promise that they will do their best for that. On the other hand, if something is within your own control, rather than you simply seeking somebody else, you would normally just promise to, to achieve an outcome. I promise to make 100 million doses of vaccine and deliver it to. So the question, the one of the interpretive questions is whether Best Endeavours just deals with the Medicines Board application or also deals with the parallel and subsequent production of the vaccines. And the Commission's view is that it applies to only the application in respect of the, the vaccine approval by the Medicines Board and not to the promise to produce a set amount of the vaccine. So within the contract itself, there's been some discussion about, well, what lengths do AstraZeneca have to go to to be defined as making their best reasonable efforts? Um, can you explore more about that? Yeah. Uh, one, one of the discussions over the last week is whether this is a get out of jail free clause. Oh, I did my best and it didn't happen. I'm sorry. Actually, it's not. This is a pretty common clause in commercial contracts where, as I say, you don't have control over an outcome, but you promise to do your best. And in most commercial contexts, what best commercial reasonable endeavours might be will be reasonably clear. They had to give all the information to the medicines board, for example. It requires various things and their best endeavours would be to make the various submissions to the medicines board that would normally be required. It would be unusual for an outcome of a set number of vaccines over a set period of time to be cast in terms of best endeavours. It would be unusual to say, we'll do our best to sell you what you're paying for, but if it doesn't happen, ah, gee, Swiss, tough, because, you know, you're paying for it. So we don't know the drafting history of the contract. We don't know who wrote the various clauses. We don't know whether it was mostly 
presented by AstraZeneca and accepted by the Commission, or vice versa, or whether there was give and take on both sides. But if this clause was written by AstraZeneca, most courts would interpret it, if there is any ambiguity, against the interests of the party who wrote it. And so it seems to me that a best efforts clause is the kind of thing that you use when you're promising to do your best to achieve an outcome. But it's not the kind of thing that you use if you're simply promising an outcome. So I do, I will do my best to get clearance for the vaccine, and then I'll give you 100 million vaccines or 100 million doses. Best Endeavours works on the first one, but not on the second one. And if AstraZeneca wrote this clause, and they probably did, just looking at the way the contract is, is drafted, it'll probably be, this ambiguity will be resolved against them. So this best endeavours is not a get out of jail free clause, as I've said. It is an obligation to do your best. And you have to demonstrate that you have done your best in the commercial context, but only in respect of something that you don't have any control over. It's unusual to have a best endeavours clause in respect of something that you do have control over. There you usually just promise the outcome. And I think they really did promise the outcome. So it's more likely that any court hearing this dispute is going to interpret this in favour of the Commission and against AstraZeneca. The question I know that many people have about this is, well, it seems like this is coming really at such a late stage that should they not have been informed, the EU should have they not been informed prior to what it was last Tuesday or Monday when this happened? Well, that will depend on which courts have jurisdiction over the over the contract. Every contract contain most commercial contracts contain clauses that say which law will apply, which courts or which court system gets to apply that law, and whether it's going to be courts or arbitration. Now, usually it'll be the law. It'll all be the same. It'll be Irish law. It'll be Irish courts. It'll be Irish arbitrators making the initial decisions, and then afterwards, if necessary, it'll go to the courts. But it doesn't have to. For example, a lot of disputes get heard in arbitration in The Hague that have nothing to do with Dutch law. It's just that that's a good place for arbitration. And those arbitrations may apply Dutch law. They may apply international treaties. So in this case, the proper law of the contract is Belgian law. And the court hearing the dispute is the EU general court. So if it turns out that one side is suing the other, that's where they're going to be, that, that, that it'll be heard in Luxembourg according to Belgian law. And that's important for all sorts of reasons. It answers procedural questions. And one of the questions it answers is whether precisely the question you have asked, is there not some kind of duty on AstraZeneca to come clean to the commission if there were going to be problems? And in Belgian law, the answer is yes. There is a uh, an obligation to negotiate and to perform contracts in good faith. So if there was an attempt to uh, gloss over the fact that really they didn't think they were going to be able to complete the contract and they put in some weasel words so as to get out of that, that would be a breach of the obligation to negotiate in good faith. If they became aware afterwards that their intentions in respect of production weren't going to be met, and then they didn't come and tell the commission about that, that would be a breach of the obligation to perform in good faith. English law, for example, Irish law, for example, doesn't have these obligations. So if the case were being fought in Dublin, it would be harder for the commission to make its case. But if it's being fought in Luxembourg, in the Court of Justice, in the General Court, on the basis of Belgian law, 
it's easier for the Commission to make this case. That's an interesting part of the contract, that the governing law is Belgian law. I think a lot of people are confused. Why is that? Could you explain about when drafting contracts, how you approach the aspect of governing law if something were to happen where there was a breach of contract? It's almost certainly boilerplate. That is to say, it's almost certainly standard form clauses that go in whenever the commission negotiates that it's Belgian law. And for big commission contracts, it's almost always heard in the general court, which is the lower tier of the Court of Justice. And then there's an appeal to the Court of Justice. So most commercial contracts will have a choice of law, governing law clause, will have a jurisdiction which court clause. And most European contracts concluded by the Commission on behalf behalf of the Union contain this clause that it's Belgian law and uh, and that it will be heard in the court, in the general court. And usually choice of law and jurisdiction, it just goes in at the end. The parties don't really think about it. They expect to be able to perform They expect that there won't be any problems. Not a great deal of thought is given at the time that you're forming the contract to non-performance, at the time you're expecting performance. And so this just seems like boilerplate. But it's pretty standard that there is a choice of law clause. And in European contracts where the commission is involved, it's pretty standard that it's Belgian law. I know you've touched on it there, uh, what impact this will have when it comes to if the EU sues. Mm -hmm. But can you expand more on that? So what difference will that make? If the EU sues, Belgian law will determine what remedy they're entitled to. Let's assume the commission sues and wins so that it's clear there's a breach of contract and that AstraZeneca have to provide a remedy for the breach. It will be Belgian law that will determine what that remedy might be. And most systems say that the primary remedy is an award of money that will put you in the position you had expected to be if the contract had been performed. So if I'm selling you a book and then you fail to get the book from me, your remedy is an amount of money so you can go and buy the book elsewhere. Okay, And let's say you paid me a euro for the book, but the book is worth 10 euros uh, and then I fail to deliver the book. Not only do you get your one euro back, but you get the extra nine euros so you can go into the market and buy it elsewhere because you have to be put in the position you expected to be in if the contract had been properly performed. So here, the amount of money might be if they had paid in advance, they get it back and then they go into the market and buy another vaccine. That's unlikely because the reason why this contract was done was because this was the vaccine that was available at the moment. So it's unlikely they can go into the market and get an equivalent vaccine. So the next question is, is there an alternative amount that they might look at? And here, if the wilder speculation is to be believed, the AstraZeneca contract with the UK is more lucrative for them than the AstraZeneca contract with the European Union, probably by about 50%. For broadly speaking, doses are two euros a shot under the EU contract, but three euros a shot under the UK contract. So they're getting 50% more for every vial they sell to the UK than to the EU. And if they're diverting UK production to the UK rather than to the EU, then they're making profits out of that breach. And then the question is, can you get, if you're the if you're the plaintiff and the defendant has made profits, can you get the profits? And this is always a hard claim. It's possible at Irish law. It's possible at UK law. It is sometimes possible at German law. It is sometimes possible at French law. But it's entirely unclear at Belgian law. 
And so they would actually end up making new law if this were litigated in Belgium as to the extent to which the commission could get the profits. I would predict that they probably would. You know, there, there, there is what I call the little old lady principle. If one of the parties is a little old lady, the little old lady always wins because the other party looks bad by comparison. And I think the party looking bad here is AstraZeneca. So in this analogy, the commission is the little old lady. So uh, the, the, the commission looks good by comparison and the courts, if they can't find a standard remedy, will usually find an alternative remedy. So in this respect, the fact that it's Belgian law probably helps AstraZeneca a bit. You know, they're finding the breaches, Belgian law makes it easier to find breaches against them. Here, the remedies aren't quite so broad, so maybe it helps them a bit. There's other interesting aspects of the contract as well. I know people have touched on the capacity limitations. Could you explain that in a bit more detail to people who aren't familiar? I suppose the easiest thing would be for you to um, quote the relevant bit. So it is um, clause 6.2, capacity limitations. This is a bit long, so hopefully everyone mm -hmm. can pay attention and doesn't doze off. But it says, in the event of AstraZeneca's ability to fulfill its obligations under this agreement is impeded by competing ag agreement entered into by or on behalf of the commission, AstraZeneca shall promptly inform the commission while AstraZeneca shall continue to use best and reasonable efforts to engage with its own contract manufacturers and suppliers to utilize the capacity and or components, the Commission will assist in finding a mutually acceptable solution for this agreement and the competing agreement. To the extent AstraZeneca's performance of this agreement is impeded by any such competing agreements, AstraZeneca shall not be deemed in breach of this agreement as a result of any such delay due to the aforementioned competing agreements. Isn't contract drafting marvellous? It's so um, There is no good reason why contract drafting has to be so cumbersome. Bad lawyers and non-lawyers think that contracts are full of party of the first part and tier to fours and said agreements and the sort of language you have just, just read out. Absolutely. Um, and that isn't necessary. And the best drafts are clear and short. That could, I mean, that's about three sentences worth. It's all been yoked together. It's a very good example of what happens when you get drafting by a committee, meeting drafting by committee, and then resolution. Two things. It shows they have given a little bit of thought as to what's going to happen if there's a sequence of agreements. Okay. But the head clause here that governs the entirety of that clause is if a contract is entered into by the commission with another party, and that has an impact on AstraZeneca's performance. It's not if a contract is entered into by AstraZeneca. Secondly, it's set in the future. It talks about subsequent contracts. So it doesn't catch for two reasons any existing contracts that either of the parties might have had, and particularly importantly here, the contract that AstraZeneca has with the UK. Now, they were trying to be coy. They didn't want to admit the entirety of what they had with the UK. So they were trying to draft in ambiguous language to try and slide around things. This was almost certainly drafted by AstraZeneca. And this is the kind of clause where ambiguities will be resolved on, uh, against them. So for those two reasons, it probably doesn't cover the AstraZeneca obligations that already existed vis-a-vis -vis the UK. So they have obligations vis-a-vis -vis the UK. They enter into obligations subsequently vis-a-vis -vis the commission. And we're back on the general principle. Does the fact that you've got a contract with one person to do one thing 
that is inconsistent with your contract with the second person to do the same thing, does that mean that you're not in breach of the second contract? And the answer is you are in breach. You know, if, if, if I promise to sell the book to you and then I promise to sell the same book to somebody else, I can't to the other person say, oh, it's a pity. I can't perform because I've sold the book to Shauna. Ah, uh, what a pity. I'm in breach. They'll get the damages I've already described. So this is a good example of ambiguous drafting. And I just have to say that there is really no good reason why commercial drafting is this cumbersome. You know, Charles Dickens parodied this in Bleak House 170 years ago. And drafting like a lawyer still comes across this badly. I find it interesting how everyone's speaking on the contract from representatives from the EU to people from AstraZeneca to legal scholars or experts. And we don't really have a consensus from people on, well, what will happen? Well, what is going to happen when AstraZeneca can't provide the amount of doses they said they would to the EU? Should they come from the UK? Um, and we've had Ursula von der Leyen saying it's crystal clear that the contract required AstraZeneca to deliver doses produced in the UK to the EU to make up for the shortfall. But that's not exactly been backed up by some legal experts. So what do you think on that? That would depend on whether there's some sort of if it's produced in one country, then it's available only in that country principle. And there isn't. I mean, walk into your local store and look at all the stuff that's made in Ireland and it'll only be a very small proportion of the stuff that you're buying. A lot of it's made in the UK, a lot of it's made in Europe. Quite a bit of it will come from even further afield. So in general, you go and order some electric components in your local electric superstore that they don't have, but they promise to get in for you. They're sourcing it in the Middle East or they're sourcing it in the Far East or they're sourcing it in Asia. So, so what? So the, the, the location of the manufacturer is in principle irrelevant. And OK, there's a lot of stuff about the factories and so on, but none of it creates an obligation that all the vaccines that AstraZeneca are going to produce will be made only in their European factories. Similarly, there's no reason why they can't fulfill those orders from factories elsewhere in the UK or in India or whatever. And that raises another question. We don't know the drafting history of the contracts. The versions of the contract that the commission ultimately put into the public domain are heavily redacted. There's quite a bit of sort of additional black ink. So everything that we're saying is subject to other clauses that we can't see that are commercially sensitive. And there was a week of a phony war before the commission actually published the contract where we didn't even know what was in the contract and we were speculating. And we still don't know what's in the AstraZeneca UK contract that they're trying to kind of hide behind. And so that raises questions about whether big public contracts like this really are completely commercially sensitive, such that they have to remain completely confidential. We're reading now that there's a lot of standard form clauses. There's quite a few clauses that have been individually negotiated but as I said, there's a lot of redaction, but that's the only commercially sensitive stuff. And if we assume that all of the redaction is commercially sensitive, then that's only 10 or 15 percent. So there was no reason why this contract couldn't have been published at the time. There is no reason why we shouldn't see the equivalent clauses in the UK contract. And, and more than that, the contract terms having been published, the Commission obviously thinks support their arguments. But really... At present, this is a political fight. By the time it becomes a legal fight, by the time it gets to court, 
it'll be in court pretty quickly, but by any legal system quickly from January is May or June or July, the political fight's over at that stage. So right now they're using the terms of the contract, not because they think they can win a legal argument, but because it can win a political argument. I mean, you mentioned there we don't know what's in the UK contract with AstraZeneca. But one of the questions is in the EU contract, there doesn't appear to be any clause that says the UK vaccines and their orders take priority over the EU ones. And I think that's a really contentious point for a lot of people. Can can you even hazard a guess as to why the UK were given priority over the EU when it came to vaccines? Three points. First, the UK vaccine or the UK medical board approved the AstraZeneca vaccine much earlier than the European Medicines Board did. So just as a matter of practicality, there was a market there that they started filling. Second, as I said, we understand, we don't officially know, but it's reasonably clear that the UK are paying uh, 50% more for the AstraZeneca vaccine than the European Union are. And so there's a financial imperative there. But thirdly, the Commission would not have agreed to a clause that said that UK production took priority. They just simply wouldn't. So there was no point in uh, AstraZeneca trying to put that in. You know, the capacity clause, as you called it, that that uh, they put in, kind of maybe with a, a good light, perhaps covers it a bit. But if it was drafted by AstraZeneca, all of those hedges mean that it's ambiguous and it won't be interpreted in their favour. So The general principle that I gave you already, that if I enter into two inconsistent obligations, I perform one, I'm in breach for the other. And so they then just make a commercial judgment. Somebody screwed up. We have overpromised. We can't fully deliver. Who do we deliver to first? Ah, yeah, I know the one that we'll get more money out of. And that may be the basis then of ultimately the the legal remedy for the commission. Just one last question then. I know it's not clear at the moment because we're having announcements really every day or every other day about what's happening with the AstraZeneca vaccine in the EU. But what can happen going forward then? Predictions are difficult, especially about the future, I think. Right now, what we're seeing is public relations war, a political war. Uh, The publication of the contract was part of the Commission's attempt to demonstrate that it had negotiated in good faith and that AstraZeneca are the bad guys here. And I think the Commission is prepared to go to court, but if if it does go to court, that will be a failure of politics. If there's a political resolution, AstraZeneca say, oh, what a surprise, we found 50 million doses down the back of the sofa, and the Commission says, yeah, that's close enough, then there'll be a political solution. But if AstraZeneca don't magic up a couple of more doses, uh, then the Commission will sue. And even if politics have failed at this point, the Commission will feel that it can continue here. And at that point, they will be looking for the profits, as we've described already. And I'm certain that that will concentrate minds because there will be no benefit to AstraZeneca continuing to supply to the UK rather than to the EU. And therefore, I think it's very likely that a compromise solution will be found Uh, And then AstraZeneca may end up having to answer all these same questions again in the English courts. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about this. I know for a lot of people, it's a very confusing topic when it comes to contract law. I know for myself, it kind of goes over my head in a lot of aspects. But thank you so much. And how can people contact you or find out more about you and what you're saying? The easiest way to contact me is to follow me on uh, on Twitter, which is at Kearta, C-E-A-R-T-A, which is the Irish word for rights. 
and it's the same it's the same name for my blog kartha.ie and at some point i will probably take all of these thoughts and write a blog post thank you so much again you're very welcome it's been a pleasure thank you for listening to the double non-politics review podcast on the recent controversy surrounding the astrazeneca vaccine contract with the eu if you enjoyed this podcast don't forget to subscribe or find us on social media via at dublin lpr or on our website dublinlpr.ie this podcast will also be aired on SWAT Radio Navi Mumbai and Go with Start FM. Comments, questions, and suggestions are very welcome via contact at DublinLPR.ie. This is Shauna Bannon Ward, and I wish you a very pleasant day. Mm-hmm.